Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. And I'm Adam. <laughs> oh, that, that was that was good. That was quite impressive. Thank you. I um, don't think you can keep it up for too long though, or this will be a short episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's it's, all we do. We've been choking and throwing up all over the teeth <laughs> halfway through the episode. The trouble, the, the trouble is it's gonna call Barry White quite quickly. <laughs> it's not a couple of pipes, it's a sophisticated lady. No <laughs> pop off for a slack it would. It's already turned into Bob Mortimer. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, as you can probably tell from Adam's voiceover, um, we are going to be discussing 1992's Candyman this evening as our main event. Um, but before we get too excited and we get all carried away of ourselves and start talking about Candyman, Chris, what have you been watching in the last fortnight? I, I would love to be able to say something, but <laughs> I've, I'm, I'm going to have to have my bottom spanked here because... Not a lot. I'll blame holiday, and I was sure I'd come up with something, but I just didn't manage to today. So we got back yesterday, late yesterday, and yeah. So there you go. That, that was a an easy one. That's fine. I'm sure <laughs> I'll, I'll make up for it next time. I think myself and Adam have got a shit ton to get mm. actually by the sounds of it. So uh, yeah, so it, yeah, I, yeah. We'll let you off this week, Chris, without a thrashing, but. I get, I get a couple of yeah, a couple of those a year. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I think we all need a couple of passes where you like. I just haven't had time in a fortnight. It sounds like a long time. Yeah, sometimes but, it flies by. Yeah, absolutely. Adam, it's, also, it's also that lovely thing of how much of a st- how much of a thing you're in, where it's like, do you know what? Life's been pretty dreck for about <laughs> for the past fortnight. Yeah. Like, yeah, what what I really fancy watching was someone skinning people alive. You know, <laughs> just to fucking offset that. <laughs> so on that note, what have you been watching, Adam, since we were last? Um, well, I've got I've got one one that relates to. Um, our good friends, the uh, Not For Everyone podcast, uh, in that I finally, on on their recommendation, I finally got round to watching Bring Me The Head of Alfredo Garcia. Oh, um, Which is a... Episode, but I've not seen it. Oh, yeah, no, it's a proper, like, 70s crime drama, Sam Peckinpah. And it's one of those, it's one of those films where you're like, this genuinely feels like it doesn't have any of the sort of jazziness or sort of sensationalist sensationist sort of elements of later crime films where it's like hey look at these cool hitmen or you know look look they talk about madonna just before they go and shoot people <laughs> this this just genuinely feels like oh no look this is this is what happens when grown-ups do horrible things <laughs> and it's stuff that sounds um, horrible <laughs> it's it is i mean it's it's one of the best fucking concepts i've ever heard from film is it's basically a uh, mob boss puts a hit out on this guy, but the bloke actually got killed in a car accident. So someone works out, um, oh, well, if I go and dig the body up and cut the head off, I take that to him and I get paid, even though I didn't kill the guy. It's not, do you know what I mean? But it's sort of, yeah, and the sort of cross... um, the sort of cross betrayals and things like that that go hand in hand with that sort of thing. Um, I mean, the only thing is, is that 
I mean, it's one of those films as well. It's that lovely 70s thing where literally everyone is clearly wankered because they are drinking from the bottle the whole time. <laughs> and and also just it just so happens that the main guy can outshoot anyone. So it's sort of, you know, there, there is a certain, it's like, you were playing piano in a bar, weren't you? <laughs> but you have, but you have just seen off like the mafia and a whole village full of disgruntled people, and you know a whole. But that's that's beside the point. But it is genuinely, you know, it was a genuinely good film, and also one of those ones that just sticks with you because mm-hmm. basically, I mean, it costs him a lot more than just going and digging up the the head, and it's a real like it does feel like someone unraveling before your eyes of like mm-hmm. actually this is a pretty nasty thing to have to go and do and it just gets worse and it clearly fucks you up as you go so it's um yeah <laughs> i'm not sure if it's one for you lee but it's definitely yeah i yeah and i'm like i say it's one of those ones that i've always heard about mm. and never got around to watching but because uh because adam and uh, bobby did it uh i thought well i'll uh and uh, it turned up on Arrow sale for seven quid. Oh no! So I thought I'll have a dose. I'll have a dose of that in full Blu-ray. So <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, no, that's that's a good one. But the the main thing I watched, which kind of feels like a lot more films than I actually watched, uh, is I've watched uh, the Field Guide to Evil, which is a mm. modern. It's like I think it's twenty eighteen, so it's uh, only a few years old now. Um, but it was. Uh, basically, the concept is is an anthology film well, where well, we get... know anthologies. Yeah, how good it's... they are. Love them. Well, it's it's in that it's in that sort of vein that the anthologies seem to be much more these days. Where it's like it's actually it's a collection of short films, i.e., you've got several different directors to do it rather than one guiding overall hand. Mm. Um, so you don't really get a wraparound story, but you do get a like there's a, a a big book which is the field guide to evil oh, and basically the concept is you've they've got um eight uh well it's actually nine directors because uh, two of them are a duo uh who direct together um but so you've got like eight filmmakers um and they do eight films uh based on the uh, folklore each one's based on the folklore of the uh their country of origin mm, and excellent. so you've so you've got stuff um you've got stuff from austria germany um there's uh yeah poland india uh turkey uh the us and i'm trying to think where else um but i mean mainly sort of a bit european centric but yeah uh, hungary uh but they're all really but it, the filmmakers you've got um uh, Cam Evrenol, who did Baskin, and uh, the woman who directed The Lure, uh, the directors of Goodnight Mummy. I've st- uh, Goodnight Mummy. I've still not seen it, but it's the uh, that was a film that was sort of like a lot. And that's the uh, that's the other thing that this has given me is that the people I don't know, it's really made me want to see some other stuff of theirs because it's sort of like right, okay, that was it. That was a good fucking twenty minutes. And I'd be impressed to see what you're going to do as a full length. Yeah. Um, 
but I mean, like each each story is like each story is like about twenty minutes long, so it's that good thing of if something's not quite clicking for you, you get something else shortly, hmm. and also again it brings me back to that thing where, where I'm always saying about with horror films where it uh, with horror films where it like adaptions and stuff like that. With this, essentially, you just get the money shot of each piece. So rather than sitting there and it's like, you know, watching an hour and a half where it's like, oh, well, they'll tell you what the folklore is and then you wait around for it to happen and then it, and then it occurs and that's the end of it or it's, it occurs and then there's 15, 20 minutes of farting around about what the aftermath was. This <laughs> is just literally, here's the grim bits, crack on. You know, so... Um, <laughs> But yeah, this and but there's uh, there's one which is there's I mean there's there's a couple that weren't all that, but they're still good enough looking that I sort of like um, you know that I didn't I didn't mind that. Um, but there's a couple there. There's a guy, um, one of the directors, uh, got, uh, he, uh, the story for Greece, um, which is like which looks like paintings from the front covers of fantasy novel like fantasy novels oh no nice. it's like incredible and i'm assuming it's you know it's like natural scenery or whatever like that but it's it just is so near hallucinogenic and it's basically the story of a celebration that a goblin tries to infiltrate but all these drunk greek blokes just basically kidnap the goblin and force him to bleed wine for them um, with a with a particular with a particularly slip knot looking goblin as well with a big knob nose, mm. which is quite it, it's it's quite good in a way because it's that sort of thing where you're kind of you would think it was a crappy effect except in this it kind of it's like oh no that that's what this goblin looks like a crappy effect mm. if you see yeah. what I mean yeah. because everything else looks so fucking stunning that it's like no I know that this isn't I know his nose is not wobbling because they didn't care. Yeah. or they couldn't get it right i know that they've thought wouldn't it be great if he has a wobbly big old wobbly knob nose and <laughs> sort of stuff like that um there's a the couple of stories that, uh, a lot of it especially like the european stuff really evokes the witch so mm. it's that kind of a feeling you know that sort of like um bleak foresty and that's the, that's another reason i think you'd like it Lee, is there's a lot of like that sort of the witch hansel and gretel that hallucinatory forest dreamlike sort of element to it um particularly like the german and austrian uh, stories um and the final story in it which is peter strickland's story and he's um he directed um barbarian sound studio hmm. and it is genuinely the best modern silent film i have ever seen wow. in that it feels exactly like a silent film and it has you know, like like title cards for the speech and everything. So it follows all the it follows all the patterns of an old silent film. But he's not tried to like put noise on the thing to make it yeah, look yeah. old or anything else like that. It's in color. Everything looks the tits. It's beautifully rendered and everything, and really sort of quite grim fairy tale sort of Tim Burton without the quirk sort of looking sort of thing. And yeah, that's, 
I mean, that's just amazing. The the and also, yeah, just out of nowhere, I'm I'm watching it and I said I'm saying to Claire, that is Reece Shearsmith, isn't it? And uh, Reece Shearsmith does the voiceover of uh, one of the stories. There's like a story set in uh, there's a story set in India, like sort of colonial India, so it's all black and white mm. and at the start of it, there's some live action, but it keeps going to just sort of montages of old photographs. And I don't, to me, they look like they've just got some old photographs. Yeah. And use them to sort of like illustrate the point. So, you know, but overall it's one of those things where, and I've seen, I've seen sort of like reviews online and a lot of people seem to be giving it a bit of a sort of meh. And it's like, well, the nature of these sort of things is going to be up and down when you've got, like different directors and stuff like that. But just as a proper, uh, you know, just as an interesting little exercise, it's really good. Plus, um, apart from the the USA story is the story of the melon heads, but it's all genuine folklore from around the world and none of it was stuff I knew. They haven't gone uh, for obvious... It's interesting. Stuff, you know, it's not like, you know, it, it's not like, I mean, even like with the US thing, they've gone with the melon heads, which is a fairly obscure. Yeah, sort of, yeah I've not heard of that before. It's like, it's almost like redneck folklore. That is, I suppose yeah. you could describe it, where it's basically these deformed cannibal children that live in the backwoods of America. Um, but yeah, there's, um, yeah, there's uh, like a German possessing spirit that makes you ravenously hungry. Um, there's um, the Turkish one, like Can, Can Evernell's one, um, which is probably, which is probably one of the better ones, and is probably the the most sort of from start to finish scary. Hmm. Um, which it kind of almost reminds me of. It really evokes um, "Drag Me to Hell." There's a lot of goats hmm. and scary old women. Um, so, it, but it's that. Um, but that's a, a a creature from Turkish folklore that is a a gin of um, childbirth of mm. like so, of post childbirth depression essentially it's post partum depression as a creature mm-hmm. uh, as a thing that affects you and it's sort of but again like I say all of these things are brand new to me and I just love I love folklore and that kind of thing anyway, which mm. kind of feeds very much in tonight's main feature. But <laughs> I think that, yeah, just, just on that level where it's like, if nothing else, you'll watch it and you'll be like, I'd like to know more about that. Yeah. yeah. Or I want to read up on that because they are all, gen- you know, nothing, I don't think anything for it is, um, you know, nothing's fictional. It's all based on real, I mean, it's a term I use quite a lot, real folklore, but you know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah. it's actual, actual folklore. So um, I definitely recommend it. I think I definitely recommend it to you guys. I don't know whether we'd cover it or whether just so you can see it. Because I think more than anything, it just, even on a very basic grounds level, there might be a couple of dodgy effects, particularly some of the melanin stuff. Um, but in general, it just looks stunning. It's really well shot. And it, like I say, it veers towards the theatrical. It veers towards the fantastical um, in its approach. Mm. And um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely one to uh, seek out. Yeah, sounds so, great. 
Excellent. And that's all the weather. Thank you very much. I've put that on my list for uh, for very soon viewing then. I'll have to make sure I see that. Um, so I think, I'm not sure, but I think it's because I've got it on, uh, I've got, I managed to pick up an Italian Blu-ray of it, hmm. um, but it's, um, I think it's on Shudder or it's on, it's on ah. Shudder or Prime, one or the other. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm so, seeing it on yeah. Prime. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if it's a pay to watch or anything, but I know it's on there. Fantastic. I shall give that a go. Thank you very much. Um, so I have caught up with parts two and three of Fear Street, the new... Mm. Uh, oh, yes, yes. Thing. Um, I know I sort of raved about the first part. Mm -hmm. it, it genuinely gets better, believe it yeah. or not. Um, oh, cool. I, I've just looked on IMDb and everybody else says the same. Or it doesn't say the same, but the, the uh, rating, so... The first part is uh, 6.2 uh, and then 6.8 and then 6.7. So, yeah, people agree. They sort of, you know, it, it, the, the second two are better than the third. And I love the first one. It was a really fun, um, mm. a really fun story in and of itself. Um, and they did a really good job of shifting it around in the time. So mm. the first part, I'd say, takes place in 1994. Uh, and the soundtrack is so full of it that I've actually gone and bought a load of CDs this week. <laughs> <laughs> I've just bought Smash by um, uh, The Offspring, um, mm. and I bought Dookie by Green Day. There wasn't any Green Day on it, but it just put me back in that. Oh, my Into God, that. Yeah. the 90s yeah. so good. Um, yeah, so I've gone back and bought loads of stuff I used to listen to. Mm. Uh, yeah, um, the second one is a slasher. And the third one is uh, set back in, as you were saying, Adam, uh, it's that, you know, during the witch hunts and stuff, it's set in mm. 1666. Mm. Um, and they tie all, all the stories all tie together in one big piece. Excellent. Um, but it sort of tells the story backwards and then brings oh, it all cool. back. Um, it's really good. I really enjoy yeah. it. Um, very different, but really clever. Um I so said the only thing I didn't like about it, and I won't give anything away because I know you guys haven't seen it, mm. uh, but for anybody who has um, the big heart thing, I don't know why there was any need for that. It was it was like they put, it was like you were saying, Adam, like all of it, it is fantastical because it's, as you can tell from the trailer, this isn't a spoiler, um, it's mm. basically a, a whole town that's cursed because of a witch who was put to death. Um, and this is how it's kind of affected different ages and different people through the... Um, but yeah, then they put this really, really fantastical bit in it that doesn't explain anything and actually just... I ended up having more questions than if it hadn't been in there and it vaguely annoyed me, um, but not enough to not enjoy it. I think I'll definitely go back and rewatch all of these. They're really good. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's one of those... If you've ever got like a sick day or something where you're just not feeding yourself and you're like, oh, I'm just going to spend the day in bed and I'm not going to do anything. Or if I'm spending the day in bed, I'm feeding myself. I'll just tell <laughs> you that now. <laughs> so, yeah, or if you've just got a day and you just want a triple movie marathon, they're fairly short. They're all only hour and 45-ish each, I think. Um, yeah, and I, I, I do think I'll go back at some point and watch them all in a day back to back and, and have mm. a... Yeah, an enjoyable time and a shitload of ice cream. So that's on my <laughs> list. Um, 
so that was one that I really enjoyed. Um, now for one that I didn't enjoy so much. <laughs> and this is the third series of this show. And the first season was all right. The second season was awful. The third season is now even worse. Um, and I'm still watching it. And I've put it, I've always do it. I put it on and I know it's going to make me aggy. I've got more notes about this than I've got about fucking Candyman. That was how annoyed I was about it. Um, but yeah, but this is also Netflix. So, you know, although I sort of fawned over um, Fear Street a bit, this is my counter to it. Uh, it's the Haunted TV series that they're doing. Um, okay. Uh, are you aware of this, Adam? Uh, no, this isn't. This isn't like the, this isn't there because obviously they did Haunting of Hill House and then they did yeah the whole. No, no. Is it that? But it's not that. It's not connected. No, it's not. No, no. All oh, right, okay. In that case, I've no idea. Real <laughs> people sharing. Yeah, yeah, sharing experiences. Mm. So basically, it's someone who's had a haunting or a particularly traumatic experience, mm. and they sit them down in this old scary study, and they have all their family and friends around, and they basically tell the story of this horrible thing that mm. happened to them um and me being me obviously i skip all that so like season three the first one was about somebody who grew up in a cult and i was like yeah i don't i don't want that or i jump mm. straight into the my house is haunted right so that's what i did now this was set me up from the beginning i shouldn't have done this so i set up late one night it's about 11 o'clock at night jennifer had gone to bed i was like you know what i'm gonna have a couple more beers and I'm going to go to bed. So I'm just going to put this on. And it was a guy saying, like, it, it, so just put it out there. I know I've said this on the show, but I will reiterate before I lay into people who say they've been haunted. I, I don't believe in ghosts. I do believe that when people say they've had experiences, I don't think they're lying. I think they believe the things they're saying. I think yeah. misidentification and, you know, like we said before, Jennifer and I thought we'd seen a ghost. Mm. If we were believers, that would have been the end of it. You could easily, yeah. We saw a yeah. ghost. Except what happened, yeah. What happened. Mm. But because we're such ardent disbelievers, we delved a bit deeper and we sort of had a bit of a... And we worked out what it is that we'd seen. And it, mm. and, and I think that's the thing. I think if you believe in that type of thing, it's very... You're cool. happy to stop happy. there. Yeah. You don't want to try and prove that it isn't yeah really because you're like well i know what i saw and that was what yeah I saw. and that will do yeah we, we were totally taken in by what we saw on, on that evening um so that's so that's where i'm coming from mm. but on this and this is the problem it's things like this so this guy says we moved into this house and in the barn and we moved in it had been empty for a long time and we moved in and in the barn there were all these scary old photographs and old newspaper articles about horrible things that happened in the house, including the previous owner who had hung himself in the barn. So the previous owner had hung himself in the barn. Who bought the fucking newspaper about the article, cut it out and put it in the shed? Where did it come from? Why are you Looks not like questions, you pillock? Um, the second one was a girl who got a music box with a locket in it. Mm. And every time she wore the locket and opened the music box, a ghost would come and try to strangle her. And, you know, she kept seeing it and it was awful. And then, she, the box. It, 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 and then she says, 
nothing happened because I didn't open the box for a long time. Then I moved in with an older man who had a younger daughter. And when she opened it, the haunting went to her. I was like, why the shit do you still own this thing? What, yeah. Put the locket on, open the box. A ghost appears in the mirror and tries to strangle you. That box is going on the fire within the next 15 minutes. I'm not keeping it and taking it when I move house, you stupid yeah. thing. Um, or re-gift. Yeah. There must be someone at work you don't like. <laughs> and then the third one, I only got to watch half before we started recording this evening's one. Um, but it was, it was a, a couple, a, a family moved into a house. And it's that thing. This is what annoys me about the show is they make so much of it. I said, I haven't finished this episode and I'm willing to admit that. But basically it, it started with uh, a load of people listening to black metal and wearing a scary mask and sacrificing a cat and all this stuff. And then it goes to the girl actually telling the story. And what she actually said is, um, the people who moved out, we saw them leaving. They didn't seem very happy with us. They seemed very off. So therefore they were definitely weird. And they left some weird shit in the garden. So when my mum fell down the stairs, we decided there's definitely a demon cat in the house. Makes perfect sense. So the reason they thought that the mum fell down the stairs and they said it, it was a she felt a presence had pushed her. And I was like, it's a brand new house with a rickety old set of stairs that she doesn't know. And she's fallen down and broken her ankle. And then the girl says, I saw the demon cat and I tried to kill it. And it just disappeared and vanished. And then two days later, I found out I had typhoid and I was dying and my temperature was 108 and I went blind. So the cat clearly gave a typhoid. It wasn't that she was 108 she, degrees hallucinating. Yeah, and hallucinating imagine it. that. <laughs> it's definitely that a ghost cat has given a typhoid because the people who were forced to move out to let them into the house clearly were demon worshippers because they had a scary mask that they forgot to take with them and left it in the garden. Like, it's just such... I'd, I'd, like, to think, I'd like to think demon worshippers would take most of that kit with them. But well, that's the other thing. It was like, it was the high priest in this flashback wearing the mask, and this guy ripped open the cat and poured the blood all over this naked woman, and he was dancing around in the background. I was like, oh, yeah. And then when they left, what, they just left it in a bin bag with a load of beer cans and left it floating around in the pool like if that's your high priest of your cult's like important thing I don't think you just move out and leave it floating in the pool with some junk I oh, think I think Claire made a very good point that it's um, or they just bought it to freak you out <laughs> from a fucking joke shop yeah, you're like, if you're getting forced out of your house so somebody else can move in yeah you're quite right you would you know Shit in the oven yeah. or leave a scary mask in the house. Like, you... oh. yeah, shit in the oven, crash in the carpet, yeah. fish yeah. in the back of the telly, you know, it's all the, all the yeah. Oh. Mind you, there was, I saw a thing, um, I think it was something Claire showed me where it was just um, some bin men finding, uh, some bin men had found someone had thrown out a Ouija board and they just put, we're keeping this and we're going to put it back in three weeks. <laughs> 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 brilliant absolutely yeah. brilliant um, <laughs> yes so i need to stop torturing myself with this because i just it's not good for my blood pressure i get so angry watching this show you I can't just, have many left though can you how many is there i think there's five or six i think there's six in a series mm. or something and uh 
as I say, I, I, I skip the ones that are like, yeah, I was once nearly killed by a serial killer or yeah, I was part of a cult and that sort of stuff because they, they don't really appear to me. I watched the alien ones mm. and the haunting ones. Um, yeah, I get really, really aggy about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so before I burst a blood vessel, let's get on to this evening's main event. Um, at Adam's request... Uh, and quite rightly so, because I, I think probably spurned by the fact that there is the new remake coming out. So mm -hmm. we wanted to remind people that there is actually an early good one. Um, um, well, I, I, to be honest, the new one that's coming out, I'll, I we'll get into it. I'm quite excited for. Oh, because although they've done, although they've done the one thing that annoys me, they've called it Candyman. Mm. Mm. Which is like Halloween, yeah. like twenty eighteen Halloween. It's yeah. like find something else, please. Even if you call it Halloween twenty eighteen, I know that shit, but it rhymes. <laughs> and at least I'm not going to confuse Google. Yeah, looking for the John Carpenter one and getting that one, and vice versa. Yeah. So you know that. Apart from that, the I will say the new one does actually look. Yeah, well, we'll get into it, but it mm. looks pretty like it could be pretty fucking decent. And the main reason, admittedly, was I just kept seeing the fucking trailers for the new one, mm -hmm. and they use the theme tune. They use Helen's thing, like the no, that's, that's dun, sensible. Dun. Yeah, and so it's just been yeah. buzzing around my head like a chest full of bees. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is almost exorcism just to get it mm. out of us because I'm like. I really must watch Candyman <laughs> just because that music's just been, yeah, just been traipsing around my head for about a month and a half. So, <laughs> so Chris, was this your mm. first viewing of Candyman? Not my first viewing, um, but I did watch it. For, uh, when when did it come out? 92. 92. So I was 12. Probably, I probably watched it a few years after it came out. I would think I may have been 15, 16. I just I remember it being talked about at school, yeah. so it, it, you know, in that meta way, it had built up a myth around it, being <laughs> it itself, but yeah, so um, it, yeah, and I am the whisper in the classroom, <laughs> uh, and so. Yeah, um, but I, I definitely did watch it, but it was very late at night. I don't think I watched it again. And so it was sort of a bit of a dreamlike, you know, memory. Mm -hmm. um, but I just remembered thinking it was amazing. Like we, But it was the concept of saying the name five times because we then did that for the next two years. Can't who's going to say the name five times in the mirror, you know, winding each other up. Five times is too many. This is, this is the... <laughs> It's funny, we were doing a quiz recently. Um, uh, my brother for my birthday bought me a book of horror quizzes. Um, mm. And it's like 10 questions on each thing. And it will either be a film or a director or an actor or whatever. Um, yeah, and we did the Candyman one. Mm. And yeah, I, I realised how little I remembered it. But yeah, yeah. The, the options was how many times you have to say his name. Uh, yeah. Is it twice, three times or five times? I think like, everyone would go for three. Yeah. Surely, yeah. Like, oh, you wouldn't do it five times. Like, <laughs> yeah, that just sounds like a spoof, doesn't it? <laughs> but, but isn't it to prove, I don't know, like, you know, you're really dedicated if you're going to stand there. 
Well, fun, funny enough, that's what Claire said to me. She was like, I think um, in a sort of, in a pissing about way, she was just going, oh, well, I, I know a very important fact about Candyman that you probably don't know. And I was like, what's that? And she said, if you say his name three times, he appears. And I was like, I think it's five in the film. Uh, not to shit on your joke, but I was like, <laughs> I think it is actually five in the film. But when, reading about it, apparently uh, the very first version of it, they they wanted to do it 13 fucking times. Jesus Christ. So the suddenly... Film, they did well to get done. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say five suddenly doesn't seem that yeah. much. <laughs> but and, but and yeah. obviously skipping ahead slightly, but also how would you do the final sequence with... Um, everyone's favourite 90s douchebag, Trevor. Mm. Um, <laughs> how would you do the bit where it's just him going, oh, Helen, Helen, Helen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Five times, maybe. Three times, <laughs> definitely. Thirteen times? What's hmm. the matter, mate? You got to start What's the fucking yeah. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, I've got to say, it's like, like you said, Lee, um, I'd remembered it being, or I, so I'd remembered it being really good, but I didn't exactly know why, what it was about it that was so good, whether it was just the iconic um, horror aspect of it um, or the his catchphrase, um, be my victim, you know, like it just, it, it sort of, it took on a cultural theme itself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, from watching it again, like, I was surprised and very pleased to see like it is, a sophisticated subtle film really like there's mm. there's quite a lot going on with it that i think i would appreciate far more now at this age than i would have done when i first watched it um because yeah it sort of covers like um i mean like so it's a slasher essentially isn't it but yeah it like woven around a kind of uh almost like gothic romance mm-hmm. uh crime thriller theme like the and you'd think you could ruin that like could come out really bad but somehow they've just polished it fantastically so that it feels it's deep and it's got you know different messages in there I mean it's got social commentary mm. on poor black communities versus white wealthy um, it's got gender role um, ideas of a strong female lead um, and a horrible husband um, but yeah and them like laughing at her the, uh, the other professor that he works with um that yeah that guy I, he's not he's not done much and this was one of the first things he right. appeared in and it's like you are so fully formed as a prick yeah, yeah. he's he's like he's like sort of the anti stephen fry <laughs> yes yeah do you know what i mean it's like it's like stephen fry with all the warmth and oh, generosity taken yeah. out he's just a fucking intellectual snob and prick well, so, and he followed on so well from a husband because you're already hating him yeah yeah and then he's like yeah that's that's even worse but yeah and um so yeah so she's she's fantastic helen um mm. played by virginia madsen um Did you, and she, who is the um she is the sister of michael madsen from um Kill, he's Bud in Kill Bill and Mr. Blonde uh, in Reservoir Dogs and he's in Species and um, right. which which was really fun. It's one of the funny things because um, Michael Madsen said that the one thing he doesn't do is he never sees anything she's nude in. 
because he's like, it's my sister. He's going to freak me out. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to see that. So he never watches any film that she's done. So, yeah. To be honest, I think in Virginia Madsen's case, I mean, it probably means he's not seen very many of her films. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, no, Virginia, Virginia Madsen is really great. I also, and it's fun, funnily enough, this was, again, something that happened watching it with Claire, is that very first shot of her, Claire thought it was um, Gillian Anderson. Yes, I can see because that. Because she really, because it's, it's, she really does look like, Gillian Anderson, certainly like the first couple of years of the X-Files mm. to the point where I always wondered was, were they modeled? It was like, we want someone like Virginia Madsen in Candyman yeah. <laughs> to be Scully. You know what I mean? So, mm. um, yeah. And I, like, so I thought they'd done such a great job of, of weaving the story. And especially because you, you kind of side with both Candyman and Helen mm. and the mm. way the you know the backgrounds and the their stories intertwine, um, and so yeah. See, it's I guess I suppose some people might feel it's a bit slow, but I really liked that build up. Like you don't even see Candyman for like almost the first half the yeah, film. Yeah, I think it's like forty um, minutes in before yeah. he appears. And again, that's and not get, something I'd remembered. I and you get that great misdirection as well where. They're all talking about it, and then you find out it's somebody who's just a local... Using the name. Yeah, just a local mm, yeah. gangster, basically. Yeah, using uh-huh. the, the legend of it. Um, yeah, it's a kind of masquerade. This, and, uh, Yeah, and it is really it is really well done. It is very well done. Yeah. Because I, th- I think um, that, I- that's the fascinating bit as well, is that there's... It's like... It's interesting what they've taken of Candyman versus what yeah. the other myth of Candyman is. Mm. So mm. Candyman's like the, the 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 actual spirit Candyman is playing out his sort of romantic sort of weird love story quest yeah. thing. But that's not what has been taken taken from it yeah yeah none of none of no one talks about that apart <laughs> from the what's his name purcell the professor mm-hmm. so no one no one in the project talks about that he is just a hook-handed murderer mm. and that's what's been taken by this guy to shit them up as mm. like a smoke screen it's almost it's scooby-doo almost mm. yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so I've so I've got to admit I had uh, I, I saw this when it first came out, um, and I found it slow, and mm. haven't watched it again since. <laughs> um, so did did you get to the end? Oh yeah, yeah, I, I, I watched. You did, okay. Um, but I just, I think because I think like you said, Chris, I think it was one that people were raving about quite a lot, and it was mm. it was at that time in the 90s where uh, we were still, I was still catching up on a lot of the stuff that came out in the 80s that I was only finally, you know, I still wasn't quite <laughs> yeah. old enough to see, but I was seeing. Um, yeah. Yeah, where it was just right, you know, you've got to have a kill every 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, and it, so that's what I was kind of anticipating. Mm. So when I heard about this, I loved the idea mm. of the kind of gothic, as you were saying, the kind of gothic backstory of it, of this you know, this poor couple who'd fallen in love and the father mm. had had him murdered. And 
and and I love that idea. And I was like, and then taking that and putting it into a modern urban setting yeah. sounds fantastic. Um, but yeah, they just played it out a bit too slow for my, you know, for that time, seventeen-year-old mind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, having gone back and watched it now for this for the first time in yeah twenty years, um, mm. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was about thirty years. So, so you'd say you got really hooked on it, did you? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, God. Oh. You're such a. Well, I, I remember. I've just cheapened quite... the whole thing. But there you go. Uh, well, I, I'm with you, Lee. I remember there being such a buzz about it at the time. <laughs> um, it got a mouthful of bees. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think that was the thing is when it first came out, and I was probably in the same. I mean, I enjoyed it um, from like the when I first saw it, I enjoyed it, especially because, again, it was like the folklore thing, but it was, mm. in this circumstance, it was urban myths. Because, mm. obviously, it kind of combines... There's the Bloody Mary myth, isn't there, which is, you say, her name, 3, 5, 13, uh, 27 to the power of 9 to a mirror. Um, and um, she appears behind you. And the other one, which is the hook story yeah. where it's like the couple here on the radio that an escaped lunatic with a hook for a hand and they drive off and then they get home and find the hooks hanging from the yeah, yeah. passenger door where he was just about to break in mm. so which probably means that you probably dragged him for about half a mile yeah. so, <laughs> so technically that story should be teenagers murder men no, yeah. you know so <laughs> In sick t- millennials murder mental patient in sick twisted game. <laughs> That's what they put it down as now. But um, so, so I can only assume though that really a lot of the people that were talking about this probably skipped most of the film and just watched, you know, exciting bits. Because yeah. well, I th- I think also it's again because I know that apparently the bit where he kills the psychologist or the psychiatrist mm. rather. Mm. That was like that one that year's Chainsaw Awards for mm. best kill. <laughs> it was like, but again, it's a bit like I suppose it's a bit like Deathline, where it was like I will call it raw meat, and then just list the killings on the back, and it's like yeah. kind of not quite what <laughs> Deathline is. I mean, no. Deathline's nearer to it than this, certainly. Yeah, um, but because that was the thing as well is there's this sort of because um, I know that particularly for like black audiences they were like we've got our own monster but in the sort of dracula sense Mm. and like tony todd's like uh who like obviously who plays Candyman, so talks about it he says like he uses dracula and phantom of the opera Mm. as the and it's and it is quite an interesting thing because the nearest you probably the nearest that you had to that before would be basically for want of a better expression Blonsters. So you had like Blackula or yeah, Blackenstein, yeah. you know, where it's like, oh, it's Dracula, but the twist is he's black. Yeah. Whereas this, it's a fundamental part of it. And it's also, you know, it's not just a, it isn't just a slasher. It's not, he isn't like, I know someone said it was like, some someone said it's not Freddy Krueger goes to the projects mm. or it's not yeah, no, that's the thing it could it could have been done so badly if Mm. it was just that somehow they have completely made a unique um, because 
because even like Philip Glass, who did the music, referred to it as a slasher. Mm. And apparently mm. he's still not happy about it. He was like, he was like, oh no, yeah. I, I thought it was going to be a totally different movie. And he's like, he's still convinced that it's like a sort of a cheap slasher like a Friday the 13th or Sleepaway Camp. The music's fantastic and it seems to fit it so well for what it actually is. But then, then what was he doing? But then, typical of a true artist, the thing that he mostly likes about it is he still regularly gets checks for it rather than (laughs) it's one of the, you know, it's like. I think he's now sort of grown to like it more on the basis that, oh, yeah, he's actually seen a return on it rather than however many other pieces he's composed or sort of things like that. You know, tales. it's like probably I make a bit more off Candyman than I do half the stuff I've written. Mm. But, yeah, and it was like a weird thing. Like you say, Lee, there was a weird thing at the time because I think everyone wanted to... Everyone was kind of selling it on that basis. Mm. It was a proper... It was proper that League of Gentlemen thing about how many killings. Yeah. You know, it was, it was those two guys in the video shop where it's like, sin, sin, sin. What about this one? Black and white? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. The, the, the um, people who were watching this were the people who watched the Elm Street films, didn't get the overarching story, and just talked about how, yeah, yeah someone got pulled into a bed or their veins were yeah. cut and they were used as a like, Yeah. And it, which is what kids take away from, from films. Mm. And yeah, I think they were the people who were watching this. So I thought it was going to be something very similar and very light-hearted mm. and very, um, yeah, well, you're more like an Elm Street type, you know, mm. quick bang of action, a roller coaster yeah. film rather mm. than yeah. Whereas this is so much more well thought out and well planned. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the cast obviously is stunning. Virginia Madsen, you've mentioned, Xander mm. uh, yeah. Berkeley's fantastic in this as a slime ball because mm. oh he is so <laughs> yeah. perfectly gutless yeah and just pathetic all the way through i mean he's when she comes back like when she escapes from uh the mental home mm. and comes back and he's already moved yeah like he's moved the the student that he's banging in yeah and it's like when he comes out what's the matter honey you have another boo-boo and he's sort of like dressed up like a sleazy, like Playboy mansion thing. And then she yeah. he sees uh, Helen standing there and fucking like just shits himself. He's like, oh my God, yeah, this is the woman, uh, you know, as far as everyone's concerned, the woman killed a baby, a dog, and her best friend at that yeah. point. You know, quite, and, and, and a fucking, and a psychiatrist quite mm. brutally. And it's like, oh shit, this is going to go. Yeah. But, I always forget. I always think with Xander Berkeley, I'm always, I always think because he's in loads of um, Alex Cox films, mm. um, but I always forget he's John Connor's foster dad as well. Yes, yeah, it's in, funny because I always uh, think, I always that's where I always recognise him from. That's uh, what I thought of him. He's it, horrible in that as well, isn't he? Oh yeah, they're they're he's yeah. a fucking shitbag. He always that's plays right. a prick. Which, that must yeah. be where I'd recognise him from. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, I, I mean, Tony Tony Todd. We just, I don't think we can say enough good things about Tony Todd. He's exceptional as an actor. Mm. He picks mm. fantastic roles. Um, he's a massive he's, fanboy himself, and he's one of those people. Mm. You, I've never heard a bad story about Tony Todd. There's never. I, I was mm. at a convention. He was having a bad day, and he spoke to someone like a piece of shit. He, you no. never hear that with Tony Todd. 
Tony Todd does come over as an amazing but I follow him on Instagram. He's actually just a really mm. cool guy. And he's um, Excellent. um his cat's named after Charlie Parker <laughs> as well, which I think is great. Um, but um I know that he considers Candyman like his favourite mm. of his of the stuff he's done. Because although you were saying that, Lee, because I mean obviously he he's done so many fucking films. And yeah, he's in some great films. He is, when I was sort of like going through an IMDb and I was like, well, I don't know that film. I'll check that. I don't know that horror film. I'll check that out. Or I don't know that one. I'll, I'll have a look at it. And I can honestly say that most, pretty much all of them start with, all the reviews start with, I really wanted to like this film, but, <laughs> and, you know, I think bless him, he does, he's got, I think he's been in a lot of, He's been in a lot of stuff that not only is shown on the Sci-Fi Channel, but is made by the Sci-Fi Channel. <laughs> so, you know, but again, I think it's, but I never hear anyone saying he was shit in this or anything else like that. It's, no. again, you know, he is always, always like A-game. You it's, know, I mean, and, and that fucking voice. Yeah, that's the thing. It's yeah, is it is unbelievable. Somewhere between him and Keith David, you know, is like, just the the it's like you can fucking drown in it yeah you know he is you know and it's and the thing is again it's obviously like when he's because i was thinking this as well in the crow does everyone die in do the villains die in order of braveliness because obviously <laughs> he's like michael wincott's um like lieutenant in the crow mm. But like fun boy, uh, like the the first two guys are quite high pitched, and then you get some yeah. gravelier and gravelier, and then Tony, <laughs> and then Tony Todd dies, and then finally <laughs> Michael Wingard, <laughs> and yeah, so I think people die in order of graveliness in the crow. I'll have to yeah. uh, I'll have to research that. But yeah, Tony Todd, especially in the nineties, I mean, he's he's in um, he was in loads of fucking Star Trek as well. Oh, like, um, he's he's Worf's brother. He plays Worf's brother in quite a few, like, oh, uh, like all the shows that Worf was in, hmm. like Next hmm. Generation and Deep Space Nine. He sort of cropped up in those. But he also turned up in Deep Space Nine as a future version of Captain Sisko's kid. And <laughs> all I can say is, when Captain Sisko's kid's bollocks dropped, they must have hit the fucking death point <laughs> with a thud. If he now sounds like fucking Tony Todd. Because you know, I mean, that that is a resonant voice. You know, <laughs> it's great. But, he, um, it, uh, one of my favourite roles of his is in the Hatchet movie. Yes, um, yeah, he does do a lot of sort of. He did Hatchet and uh, Hatchet too, didn't he? Yeah, and he, he yeah. comes out as himself. He, so he plays like a in New Orleans. He's a tour guide, and he's you know he's like going on this voodoo shaman. <coughs> And he comes out and delivers this kind of this this long sort of like a soliloquy, and then mm. it just turns into pure comedy at the end, kind of out of nowhere. And I've not seen him do comedy before, and it absolutely nailed me. It was so he said because with a voice <laughs> like that, he normally gets quite. Heavy. I mean, he, didn't he play Death in the <coughs> Final Destination movies? Um, Mm. Yeah, because he's the he's the mortuary attendant, isn't he? In a few of them, who's yeah. like basically who is Basil Exposition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the new, um, if anyone's seen it, uh, I'm on a bit of a Discworld kick at the moment. But um, the TV show, The Watch, that's come out, the guy oh, yeah. who plays Death 
basically, yeah, every time he speaks, I'm like, that should have been Tony Todd. Because it is, mm. it's that very similar voice. And I'm like, if they just got Tony Todd to do it, it would have been perfect. But Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I mean, he, um, and weirdly enough, like Virginia Madsen, I was quite surprised um, quite how many, not not just how many films she's done. Because I mean, between her, Zander Burke, and Tony Todd, they've done like about 800 fucking films. Jeez. Mm. Like, combined. And, um, but I'd forgotten that, you know, during the 90s, again, she was, um, she was usually a lead or like second build or whatever like that. You know, she was, um, she really was all over the place. And um, yeah, it's just a, uh, it's just a sort of a weird thing with this that you've got even like, um, like uh, the woman who plays um, uh, Bernie, uh, Casey Lemons, for some reason, and I don't know what it is, I've never realised, I never realised until this watch that she is also um, Jodie Foster's mate in Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> oh, I've not and it's practically, the, it's practically the same role. Yeah. I mean, it's basically, she's, basically, she's basically black best friend mm. in this. And I mean, she, she does a lot better for herself in Silence of the Lambs in terms of, well, not being cut from gullet to throat <laughs> but you know so she's she's sort of amazing no from groin to throat your gullet is your throat never mind um but she does so but um i didn't realize yes uh, casey lemon she's gone she directed eve's bayou which is a film that has only just come on my radar um because it turned up in the horror noir documentary like the hot the uh documentary about black horror Oh yeah, and Eve's Bayou is apparently like this really like haunting uh, New Orleans set drama that's kind kind of ghostly. I don't think it sort of goes into full blown horror, but again, yeah, she's she's sort of like gone on to, um, uh, she, but she's also in like Vampire's Kiss and Gridlocked and stuff like that. Um, and also, just a weird one. Did you spot you know the opening? Uh, the, the opening bit where it's like the, them telling the story of Candyman. Yeah. And it's like 1950s, very Halloween sort of stuff. Hmm. Did you realise that's Ted Raymond, the bad I boy did, boyfriend? I did realise it this time, but obviously hmm. I didn't know who Ted Raymond was when I watched this in 1992. No, that's true. So I had but, no but, idea. When I watched it, I was like, holy shit, it's Ted Raimi. Yeah. I know. But, but again, because that was the thing is that, again that was like the f this is the first time of me watching it I'm like holy shit because I was like looking it up and it's like Ted Raimi's in it is he oh he must have like I was thinking has he got a bit part or is he just because obviously he turns up in so many things it's like monsters and creeps and things like yeah. that and it was like oh no no he's Boulder's Brass that is Ted Raimi I've just never noticed um <laughs> uh, obviously brother of Sam Raimi and um once uh, and also formerly babysat by uh, Bruce Campbell which I think we did mention on the Evil Dead, um, <laughs> <laughs> on the Evil Dead one. Um, Tell you what, but, I did find that you might be able to answer this for me, Adam. Um, mm. I, I've have a, a multitude of notes. Well, one of the first ones is why is he called Candyman? So there's What's, a hook and there's bees. There is, I, I suppose, because they covered him in honey. Yes, it's it's something to do with because I think because basically they've done. 
and I'll I'll get into it, I'll get into it now. They've done, they did two sequels to uh, Candyman back in the nineties. Hmm. So they did Candyman Farewell, Farewell to the Flesh, uh, which I have seen, and Candyman, which yeah, because I've seen Candyman Farewell to the Flesh, I've never seen. Candyman, Day of the Dead. Um, so, <laughs> if, if that's 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 the and that's and that's the uh, that's the uh, final truth. But um, <laughs> yeah, they they've um, so it's again it's but a lot of it does stem from there's holdovers from the Clive Barker story that it's based on. Hmm. Um, but I think it's to do with it's the sweets to the sweet thing. So it's honey, and obviously they leave confectionery out for him as a offering even though it's like with the blades in it and stuff like that yeah. but i think um yeah in the late in the later ones they kind of talk about so yeah uh, farewell to the F farewell to the flesh is set three years after the original one in new orleans uh, the main character is annie tarrant who's revealed to be a descendant of Candyman, real name daniel robertail and uh, Caroline Sullivan, the um, the white woman who he's painting, who he then uh, oh, yeah. gets involved with and is lynched, clearly. Um, and I think in that they do like a flashback and it's something to do with like the kids. I'm sure it's something to do with like the kids licking the honey up and chanting Candyman comes into it. Okay. But in Clive Barker's story basically i mean in i mean this is the thing the, the story version of it is bernard rose like who directed this took that story and just got it and but or, but just went so further with it hmm. which is so impressive because like the original short story which is called the forbidden and it's uh, from volume five of the books of blood and it was set, it's set in England on a fictional council estate in Liverpool named Spectre Street Estate. And in that, the character of Helen Buchanan, not Lyle, is writing a thesis on graffiti when she comes across gra graffiti pertaining to the Candyman and then learns of the local legend. There is an Anne-Marie in the story, um, surname Latimer rather than McCoy, and her baby is called Kerry and not Anthony. Mm. Um, but basically, when Candyman appears, he's um, he's white. He's not he's not a black character in the original story. But he's got like they describe it as waxy yellow flesh, pale blue lips, and he's wearing patchwork trousers and jacket, looking almost ridiculous. And it sounds like he's almost like a Harlequin. So yeah, it's yeah. kind of like I think it's like Quality Street, almost. Yeah. I think yeah. it's that kind of thing. You know, it's like that sort of whatever period sort of that quality street sort of look of like Pierrot's or, mm. you know, Bo Brummel sort of type dandy figures. Yeah. And mm. so I think that's, I think that might be where the Candyman element comes from that. Um, and in the story, um, the child is killed by Candyman. He doesn't kidnap the baby. He just kills the baby. Um, and then uh, she, um, Basically, Helen then encounters Candyman after the baby is murdered, and he explains himself as this. Basically, you start you started denying me, so I've had to make an appearance to keep everyone believing in me, so that I can exist. 
um, which obviously is is within the film as well. Um, and uh, but the baby's body the body is placed into the bonfire, and Helen's trying to get it as evidence because she still thinks Candyman is a real figure rather than a a, a, a fantastical one. Um, and then when she goes in there, he Candyman holds her in place, and she dies in the bonfire. Okay. And that is where she sort of like so it's it's about um, perpetuating his myth. In that it's like, oh, that's the lady who came who came here um, from like the posh university, and she died in the bonfire because Candyman killed her. And that's kind of how. Um, and and obviously, that's one of the things that holds over into the film. But in the book, it's bonfire night, which yeah. obviously they don't celebrate in America, so they had to just sort of like say, oh, it was for a party or for a, whatever they you know they just say it's part of a celebration or whatever, don't they? Yeah, but um, yeah, in the book it's it's set around uh, November fifth, so much like Attack the Block, where it's like because that's one thing we didn't get into on Attack the Block was it was like oh yeah we might have to explain fireworks night to yeah <laughs> and, you know because it's sort of yeah it's not something that they've um, what is it so in the story and I sort of wrote down because in the story it's he says um, I am rumor it is a blessed condition believe me to live in people's dreams, to be whispered at street corners, but not have to be, which is obviously adapted in, in, in a way in Candyman, where it's like the, I'm the writing on the wall and the whisper in the classroom, without these things, I am nothing. Yeah. And, um, but also just that there is an element there where it's like, I love that weariness that you get, where it's like almost like you've made me have to be a physical form you've yeah. you know this is not only is this about perpetuating myself and offering you the same existence but also there is an element of this is your punishment where it's like i've you you've made me be a, a physical entity again yeah and that's horrible and it's painful and it's not something i want mm. you know because when as as a rumor I can live, but I don't actually have to, have to. breathe in and out yeah. and exist on a on this plane, you know. And it's, I mean, it's quite a fucking, you know, it's, and again, I, I think every time I've watched Candyman, it really goes up in my fucking estimation. That's the mm. weird thing, because I think I was like yourself, I think I watched it the first time, I was like, yeah, it's good. Mm. And then, and then I think I got it, um, then probably when I upgraded on DVD and got it, and then watched it a few uh, watched it a few times. And each time I was like, "No, this is yeah, no, this is this really has got something in it, you know, it really does." And then watching it again for this, I was like, "Actually, I think I fucking even though I was like, I really like Candyman, I had undersold myself on how much I like I like Candyman." But yeah, so with the sequel, so they've done that. They then did this Day of the Dead, ironically set in twenty twenty. Mm. And um, the um, and it's basically the daughter of the character from Farewell to the Flesh, who is obviously a descendant of Candyman because the main character in Farewell to the Flesh is a descendant of Candyman. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously they don't they don't even mention the pandemic in it. Yeah, you said it's only twenty twenty. <laughs> I mean, it was only nineteen. It was only nineteen ninety nine. Come on, come on, guys, think it through. 
Obviously, well, that's going to be a pandemic. But there, didn't they? I mean, there's there's only one. There's literally only one reason now that I want to watch Day of the Dead is the fact that it's set in 2020, and I want to see what 1999 thought 2020 was going to be like. Because <laughs> because from what I gather, I don't think they do much with it. But obviously, it will be things like you're watching it and going, like for example, watching this. Obviously, the one thing that sort of came up was like, oh yeah, you used to have to go and get photos developed, didn't you? Yeah. She's, she's not even got a digital camera, but a big, but a specific camera. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like. She rang the house phone. Yeah, that's true. She rang the house phone. You know, mm. where yeah. she was looking for Trevor. <laughs> and where was Trevor? We know. Oh, Trevor. But, and here's the interesting thing. He, and again, this is like part of like looking into this because I, I don't know if you're aware because uh, I think it makes it it's something that works better in America in a weird way because like I say, Bernard Rose has obviously just gone and gone like, right, I've got this book, but I'm adapting it for America. And Britain mainly works along class lines mm. and America primarily works along racial lines in terms of who is put out, who is dispossessed, who is living. Because a council estate over here is what a housing project is to America. Yeah. And he's obviously, you know, he's obviously sort of taken that on board and put it, but uh, obviously, but Cabrini Green is a real place or was mm. a, a real place. And it was like, I mean, sort of like looking into it, I mean, it started off, um, it was originally, it was like a shanty town in mm. the 18, started up in the 1850s along the Chicago River and was originally nicknamed Little Hell as it was near a particularly nasty gas refinery. Um, and the inhabitants were predominantly Swedish and Irish. By the start of the 20th century, the population was mostly Sicilian, earning the nickname Little Sicily. Um, and then in, uh, in the 1940s, uh, they began with the construction of Francis Cabrini Homes. And that's uh, named after St. Francis Cabrini, who was an Italian-American nun famed for her work with the poor who's also the first American to ever be canonised by the church. So she's the first American, like, actual American saint. Um, And then in the 50s, they added William Green House or William Green Homes. So then you get Cabrini Green as, like, the amalgam of the two. Um, And, yeah, and then it was was finished in, like, 62. Um, Originally, it was done under the city's authority. The residential stipulation was to provide housing for a populace of 75% white and 25% black. And in 1966, a lawsuit was brought and upheld that the Chicago's uh, public housing program was conceived and executed in a racially discriminatory manner Um, because it basically did cause racial segregation within the the neighbourhood. But then following World War II, a lot of the... um, factories and stuff that were local to it closed down and basically so the majority of the people who were working there lost their jobs and as they were and this is this had the knock-on effect that as they were finishing off in the 60s everything was like crappy materials much like they say about in the film where it's like oh yeah this was actually built as a project and they turned it into a condo because they weren't gonna you know they had to recoup the money somehow so they couldn't make it another housing project because it was like, well, we could give poor people houses or we could stick a bit of plasterboard up and sell it to some rich companies. Yeah. 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 So, um, 
so, I mean, it was sort of poor quality materials. Um, and then what happened was it sort of started off okay, but then they paved over the lawns to save on maintenance. Uh, burnt out apartments couldn't be refurbished because they didn't have the money to do anything with it. So they were left empty and boarded up. The garbage chutes became clogged and were, and were just left, <laughs> basically. And at the, at the worst point, they reached the 15th fucking floor of mm. the buildings. And obviously that's got like, that causes an infestation of cockroaches and rats. Yeah. Uh, the basic amenities such as electricity were uh, broke down and didn't get repaired for ages. Eventually, they fenced in the balconies to prevent the residents throwing garbage off them because they couldn't use the garbage shoes. Mm. But also as a preventative measure against suicide and people being thrown out of the fucking building. Mm. You know, so I mean, it's, so it starts looking like a fucking cage. Yeah. Um, and then those who could get out did. But the, but the people who could get out and actually move to the suburbs who weren't being, well, who weren't being, uh, were white. So eventually you end up with a mostly black populace because unfortunately, um, just because of the nature of the racial segregation uh, of the racism inherent in the American system was that they couldn't move out to the suburbs because no one would let them move. Yeah. So it ends up as like a mainly, you know, it, may, it ends up as a mainly um, uh, black populace there. And then again, because there were no, because there was no money, they stopped doing. Um, they also sort of cut down on police and public service vehicles, maintenance, and everything. So the, basically, the place was left to fucking rot, and yeah. the people there were left to rot with it. And. Um, it became a no-go zone for the police and essentially gangs took over owning, uh, basically owning different buildings. So you had a majority populace of people who were just trying to get by, like they talk about in the film. Yeah. Mostly it's poor bastards just trying to get by who are unfortunately got the shit end of the stick. Yeah, they've got no And up. then a load of fucking pricks show up and basically mm. take it over because they know they're not going to get any reprisals. Yeah. You know, and start, to, and it's... And again, the reason that Cabrini Green was quite famous is because it was between two affluent neighbourhoods in Chicago. So other, there were actually worse places in terms of like crime, murder rates, drug, you know, everything. But Cabrini Green was the one that white people noticed, basically, or rich people noticed, basically, because it was like, oh, well, well you, can't, you can't go through there even at night. You know, you can't, you can't drive, you don't even drive through it. And um, yeah, uh, so it sort of got, you know, as, as and when, I mean, you had like stuff like, I mean, when they say, oh, it's okay, they think we're cops. Um, two police officers uh, were shot dead whilst on a volunteer, com volunteer community walking tour. <laughs> they were basically going around as like a sort of, and just got shot dead. Um, the Chicago mayor moved into the fourth floor into a fourth floor apartment to prove it was getting safer. Uh, but having first closed down all the liquor stores in the area and insisting that the housing authority evict any ten tenants suspected of harboring gangs around 800 fucking people. So, and, and she stayed for three weeks. It was like a proper publicity stunt of, oh, what are you talking about? There's nothing wrong with Cabrini Green. And it's like, yeah, when the mayor moves in, and they've and got rid of fucking 800 trouble. Else out. 
Mm. Bloody hell. So, I mean, it was a real fucking <clears throat> piss take. I mean, um, and weirdly enough, because there's the story in this, they say, oh, it was a boy was only shot here last week. Mm. And literally just before the film came out, a little nine-year-old boy was shot by a sniper through the head whilst going to school with his mum. Like a little boy, a little boy called Dantrell Davis. And I mean, there's there's other stories and it's just, a, I don't want to even go into them because it's just a fucking litany of horrors yeah. that these poor fuckers had to put up with, <laughs> as you- well as a litany of horrors perpetrated by fucking arseholes. Um, yeah, but the, the, they actually did. Go on. Sorry, go on, man. No, go on. Sorry. No, I was, was going to say, but all the bits that are outside Cabrini Green are filmed at Cabrini Green. Oh, really? And the, but the way they did it is the production team basically made a deal with the fucking gangs and said, "You can be in this film." Mm. So, like, they turn up as extras oh. and stuff like that in the <laughs> film. They're all like the background artists. Half the people you see playing gangbangers are gangbangers, and it's like. So, and that was their that, but that was their safe ticket, so that they could actually film there. Hmm. And then on the very last day, a sniper shot one of the uh, production vans. There was no one in it, but it was kind of like just a sort of like, yeah, that'll send you on your way, wouldn't it? You know. So I mean, it's fucking like just. But basically, and here's the interesting thing, and this is this again feeds into why I want to see the new one. Mm-hmm. <coughs> So they decided to start redeveloping the area in 95. Um, and quite a few residents were not did not want to be moved because, the, you know, under those circumstances, I suppose you do end up with a community because you have to fucking stick together because no cunt is looking out for you. You know, so... Um, but, yeah, they sort of, like, started uh, tearing them down. The last of the high-rises was demolished in 2011. And all that remains now is the original row of Francis Cabrini homes, which still have some occupants. Um, but the surrounding area has been redeveloped with some mixed income housing, but mostly with expensive luxury condos, pretty much like in the film. Here is where it gets interesting. And here is why I want to see the new film. Because the new film is written and produced by Jordan Peele and mm. um, uh, directed by Nia DaCosta. Um, and it's a couple moves into a loft condo in the now gentrified Cabrini Green. And it's obviously now it's like the sort of choice, but it's basically like Shoreditch or Dalston yeah. or whatever like that. It's now it's now full of like, it's now just full of hipsters and yeah. uh, trust fund kids and stuff like that. Yeah. And so, but yeah, it's, a, it's this, this couple, um, it's, um, where is it? I've, I've written it down two different things. You're a, a fat twat at times, aren't you? <laughs> um, yeah. And, but basically, the bloke who moves in is an artist, but he's, he's Anthony. He's baby Anthony. Oh. And it's so they are actually bringing it back to like that. So he moves into a lovely yeah. condo with his girlfriend, uh, becomes artistically blocked, and then has a chance encounter with an old resident who tells him the story of Candyman, which begins to inspire and obsess him. Now, here's the interesting mm. thing as well. Is, and this is purely speculation now because I'm sort of reading from what I've said and also I'm trying not to know but I'm guessing um, the trailer for it talks about the myth of Candyman in that is a man who gave out children to kids and then 
someone finds a razor blade in the sweets or the kid eats one and it's got a razor blade in it. Yeah. So he gets chased down by the police and shot. But then it turns out it, was, it wasn't him. And they say, oh, that's, that's who Candyman is. So it's not the myth as we see it in the film. However, Tony Todd didn't think he was going to be in this film. But now Tony Todd is in the film. And he's listed as playing Candyman, along with other people being listed as playing Candyman. That's interesting. And, and in the trailer, they say um, he's not the swarm, he's the whole damn hive. And mm. I wonder if it's like a sort of going to be like a sort of, for want of a better expression, like a community of Candymans or Candy mm. Men, where it's like this myth adapts and lives on, but you've got. Yeah like the original from which it springs and then it gets rewritten and retold but with other people and stuff like that and also mm-hmm. clearly it's meant to be <coughs> from what i gather it's meant to be nothing nothing to do with um like anthony is not aware of his childhood mm. he's you know i don't think i don't think he's been told that he was rescued by the woman who killed his dog uh, his mum's dog and yeah because <laughs> actually I have to say that was the one bit of the film that kind of felt unrealistic to me and I don't want to sound cynical, but it was just the bit where the police burst in and Helen's got the fucking meat cleaver to her head and then um, uh, Anne-Marie grabs it and they wrestle it off her rather than just shoot her. Because I was just, (laughs) (laughs) just sort of like, I thought, yeah, that's probably more how that would have gone down. I don't know. Now, the fact that she's called McCoy... And this is fucking ghastly. So in the film, they talk about the woman next door to Anna Marie, who's uh, to Anne Marie, who said someone's coming through the walls. Yeah, that's based on a real fucking story from a different Chicago project. It's not um, not Cabrini Green. It's a place called Abla. Um, but and it was a fifty-two-year-old woman. Uh, she called nine on. This was in April eighty-seven. Um, she called 911 and around about sort of 8.45 one night and said someone's coming through the walls and the police did nothing about it and then the police showed up because neighbours had said we, they heard screaming of gunshots and police turn up, can't get an answer from the door, couldn't get through to any of the neighbours or like and you know I think it was just that sort of thing of right, trouble, don't Get involved you know so so they just left it then the next day a neighbor phoned and said look we called you here last night and i've not seen her this morning i've not seen ruthie uh that's it ruthie may mccoy so that's why Anne marie's name has been changed to mccoy yeah um but they said they said oh um we, you know we've not seen her can you come and do a, a welfare check so they turn up with two security guards from the housing authority and the police want to kick the door in, but the housing authority guys don't let them. At which point, to be honest, I don't know why they didn't turn around and just say, jog on, I'm the fucking police, but that's yeah. besides the point. I can do what then I the like. following day, if, yeah. If the one the following day, they day, in, I'm going to do yeah. what I like because I'm the police. Yeah. This is what they should be doing. But if, if true crime podcasts tell you anything about the American police force, it's, can I do nothing? Yeah, I'll do nothing. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then the next day, so we're talking three days now, um, a bloke from the housing authority turns up with a carpenter, drills the door out, 
and they find Ruthie, uh, Ruthie uh, May McCoy dead in her bedroom, uh, shot like shot four times, but with injuries that meant it wasn't she wasn't killed immediately. So basically, she bled out. Hmm. So and there's there's an argument where they're saying, well, the injuries meant that she would have bled out and probably not made it to a hospital, but still, she wasn't. She wasn't. She was left for dead. She wasn't dead. Mm. Yeah. Probably when the police were calling, like police got there. Now the thing is, is what had happened was, is that for basically that thing about the crawl space is true for the housing projects, and what it is is it's basically it's a plumber's run. What's the what is the term they used it? Um, pipe chase. That's what they call it, because I was thinking crawl space, but it's it's a pipe chase. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's so that you can get to the hot water pipes and stuff like that, because obviously a building of that size, like a high-rise sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, so, yeah, but the gangs had cotton on to this, and they were using them for fucking home invasions and as getaways and stuff like that. Oh. And the, they'd broken into... The flat next to her was unoccupied. They'd just broken in there, and then they came through the bathroom cabinet. Mm-hmm. And it's like... That is fucking terrifying. Yeah, mm. you know, and it's you know. Yeah, when when your walls can't stop yeah. someone. Yeah. And, and like, the thing was, that apparently this was this was like rife all over these fucking buildings because it was like they would use them to, uh, they'd use them as getaways. They'd use them to get into other uh, like abandoned apartments so they could use them as safe houses or fucking crack dens and stuff like that. Mm. And apparently, some of them they even were able to traverse floors. So they were going up and down the fucking crawl space. God. And it's like, that is just, you know, people in the walls is, yeah. you know, that. And again, you can sort of see that's something that has bit Bernard Rose has brought into this. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and it's sort of like, that is fucking horrible. But again, it sort of takes on the air of like modern myth and stuff like that. Mm. It's really sort of, yeah, it's really sort of fucking weird. I think, um, I think I think I, 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 going back to what you were saying about um, Jordan Peele doing the new one uh, and you actually, you know, being quite excited for it. I think that's yeah. the thing that my issues, as, as I said previously with Jordan Peele, um, uh, mainly from us. Yeah, is, yeah. I think he can shoot a really spooky scene and I think he's got, he can uh, make characters really believable and likable. And mm. but I, I just don't feel from that film that he could kind of it it, it, it it just didn't have any direction or anything whereas with yeah. something like this where you're building on a mythos that already exists this could yeah. be perfect for him because the story's already there so as long as he doesn't suddenly try and do something wacky and off the wall with it mm. um yeah, yeah it I really work really well and and he's not directing it he's producing oh. it and writing it but yeah oh, he's not no. directing it so again that'll be another person's eye on it, another person's input. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously, you know, speaking as, uh, you know, speaking with the authority of a white man in his 40s, um, you know, I do think that this film was pretty fucking progressive in terms of just looking at that, that racial aspect of it. Mm in terms of, and, and using like this real place. Cause like I say, Cabrini Green was in, certainly in Chicago, was fucking notorious. Hmm. So it was like setting, you know, it was pretty, I think it was pretty sort of, or considered quite inflammatory. 
And, and the, the ironic thing is, is that Bernard Rose said that he was only interested in doing a prequel if he'd have done another one. Um, and the prequel he was going to do was the origin story of Candyman. And apparently the studio were like, oh, well, we don't want to do that. Well, it's, you know, interracial. Isn't that going to put people off, like an interracial romance? And you're like, so you've just put this film out. Yeah. <laughs> you, do, you, do you know what I mean? And you sort of think, oh, you know, this, this for, in its clumsy sort of early 90s way, feels a lot more to have a greater progressive attitude towards race. Yeah. And yet, it's sort of like, but then the same studio still... like, oh, well, you know. It's just, you can't know, go can't, that far. Can't, can't show that. I mean, it's, mm. I, mean it's, I mean, it wasn't as if Kirk hadn't kissed Ahura fucking 30 yeah. years previously or something, you know what I mean? But it's funny, because in my mind, I was sure that we saw elements of the backstory. I mean, I'm assuming they did it in mural rather than shooting it, because obviously shooting stuff mm. and setting it 100, 200 years ago would have been a, mm. a really expensive thing and would have really tied their budget. Um, yeah. In my mind, that story was told so clearly that I was convinced it was shown in this film. Yeah. Um, and well, I they was do it thinking that was what I really liked. And I was like, oh, but it, it mm. wasn't in this film. <laughs> well, also, the interesting thing is, and I, again, this is something where I think because I'd seen Farewell to the Flesh, as it was like a sort of, because they do, the, they do the, the sort of flashback in that, they actually show it. Yeah. And actually, Purcell turns up in Farewell to the Flesh, like the pompous uh, professor, oh. um, uh, just for Candyman to kill him in a bathroom, which is great. <laughs> so he gets he gets his. But um, yeah, the uh, but again, and it's something they don't put in this is that they say he's got a hook for a hand, which obviously is as of a result of the fact you've had your hand chopped off. Yeah. But in fucking Farewell to the Flesh, they're like, oh, they cut his hand off and put a hook on. Why? Yeah, why would they? You're gonna <laughs> fucking kill him. Why, <laughs> why would you do that? You know, so um yeah, it's a sort of it's sort of strange, but I I think they do it really well because you get Purcell talks about it and they just put the sound effects in. Mm, yes. Which yeah. sort of and then and then the and then you see the mural. Um and again it's sort of bring and that sort of then adds that. So I think that's why it's in your head that you see it. Mm. Because you kind of you kind of think you do, yeah, mm. and it's sort of yeah, and it's just that it, it just isn't there. Now, "Sweets to the Sweet" is a line from Hamlet, um, but it's said as Hamlet's mother Ophelia scatters funeral bouquets on the grave of Hamlet's lover Ophelia. Well, Hamlet's mother Ophelia. Well, it's Hamlet's mum. Yeah, scatters <laughs> funeral bouquets on the grave of Hamlet's lover Ophelia. So. It's, so that's where that comes from. So it's actually always had like a, a death connotation and stuff like that. Um, in terms of uh, now, we've just said about how great the casting was. Um, apparently, at one point, they thought Eddie Murphy was going to play Candyman. Oh, God, no. Yeah. And apparently, and here's the best bit apparently, the reason they said no, he's not tall enough. Bit short. Bit short. If. Um, Virginia Madsen hadn't got the part. They, I think they said the next on the list was Sandra Bullock, but that would have been pre like Demolition Man or Speed. So it would have been before her big breakouts. But interestingly enough, um, Virginia Madsen was going to originally was going to play Bernadette. And 
the director's wife, Alexandra Pig, lovely name, um, was going to play Helen. But the, uh, they then made the decision to portray Bernadette as black. Mm. So uh, Virginia Madsen lost the part. Um, but then Pig discovered just prior to filming that she was pregnant. So they offered the part of Helen to Virginia Madsen. No way. But yeah, it could have been an entirely fucking but, roundabout, uh, weird an, sort of film, an entirely you know? awful film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, again, it's the luck, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And actually, also, the, the blacksmith who made the hook uh, found out that this was a Clive Barker film and he knows about that Clive Barker. He's all devil stuff and everything. And he was a devout Christian. So he took some persuading to actually sell it to them because he was like, I think we're going to use it in a horror film and it's going to be the cult and devil and stuff <laughs> like that. But it's just a film, mate. It's just a film. So that, that hook, like the, the hook itself is obviously quite a sinister image, the way it's used in the film. Mm. But it's when they've got it and it's just got random screws and stuff sticking mm. out the side of it. It just gives it such a horrible sort of haphazard put together yeah. sort of appearance. It fits the grittiness of the whole look of most of the film so well. Yeah, oh yeah, totally. And so the other thing I didn't remember noticing, but I did this time, again, I think because I'm fairly certain when the one time I did watch this, it was the middle of a sunny afternoon on a pirate VHS version, so it wasn't the best. Mm. Um, But yeah, when Candyman appears to um, Helen the first time, and he's at mm. the other end of the parking lot. Um, I didn't realise... So his lips aren't moving this time. Like, she can hear what he's saying, but his lips aren't moving. And it isn't mm. until the two of them are in shot together that he actually starts speaking the lines. Um, yeah, so I, I really liked that idea that mm. he's kind of projecting it into her mind. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't have to, as Adam was saying, you know, the fact he can exist as a myth, he doesn't need to physically be there and behave the way as mm. a, you know, a person does. Um, yeah, and just having that shift in the same scene, like I really liked it. I don't know why, it was just something about it. I, I just made a note that I thought, yeah, that was a really clever... Yeah, like thing. subtle effects, but yeah. overall, yeah, it all adds together. I, I guess um, also a lot of it is about making it seem like she might be going mad yeah and yeah potentially i'm gonna I'll, I'll put it i'll put it up on the instagram but there's a funnily enough this was only a couple of weeks back but um frankie boyle i follow frankie boyle on instagram mm. and he just out of the blue was like i watched Candyman last night and he <laughs> like did this like sort of eight minute sort of thing and it i don't necessarily agree with his, his interpretation of it but it's a really fascinating way that he looks at it from yeah. that perspective mm. of it being in her head mm. and like even down to the fact that it's like you know and, and he brings in sort of he, he evokes like sort of stuff like henry james turn of the screw in terms of like because they he said they use mirroring a lot in it whereby mm. you will see her <coughs> in places that you have seen candy man mm. and he said it's very similar to like how the turn of the screw works where it's like the governess in that appears in the same places where Quint and the, I can't remember the, the female spirit's name, mm. um, but where they appear. And, and as he said, you know, you use a mirror to, to uh, create him and it's uh, to evoke him. So, and I'll, so I'll, I'll share it on the, yeah, on the Insta. Uh, yeah, Cause it was, yeah, it's just a really interesting take on it. 
And actually, those bits where Helen is, when Helen is confronted by Candyman, initially, Bernard Rose hypnotised Virginia Madsen, like actually sort of suggested to her, like, I want to give get to give you this mesmerised sort of performance. Mm-hmm. Is it okay if I hypnotise you? And apparently, like Virginia Madsen, Virginia Madsen went along with it, but then they had to stop doing it because she said she found it's just so profoundly uncomfortable. Oh really? Yeah. Because well, because I think, and not only that, but also I suppose there's an element where if you're an actor, and it's like I can play mesmerised. Yeah. But if I'm actually mesmerised... But, but if I'm, I'm actually mesmerised, I'm not yeah. giving a performance. I'm reading the lines. Yeah. And I think she... And weirdly enough, I think there's a later bit where... I think towards the end where she's doing that, and it doesn't seem quite as effective. And I wonder if that's the point where she's not being... Yeah. Where she's acting mesmerised rather than... Mm. Because there are certain bits, and but you can see... You can already see there is an element of strain... Yeah, a right like, sort of bloodshot and red. Yeah, like, she, she a... doesn't look, and and I think she just found it so profoundly uncomfortable to be out of control whilst trying to do a performance. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it much the same as it'd be like sort of like, oh well, I think what you should do is I think you should be fucking ripped to the tits for this scene. And most actors will say, I quite agree. I think that's really rich. It's on No, but I think it'd probably be the same sort of thing where you'd be like, or sort of like saying to someone, well, why don't you do a bit of smack before you do that? So, kind of might not give my best. Yeah, yeah. Just, just a feeling. Just a feeling. You know, so, yeah. It seems so, like a so, good idea beforehand. But yeah. Well, I, th- I think it was genuinely, I think she just found the, it was the actual experience that she yeah. found so horrible. Because I suppose it's almost like watching... You know, it'd be like being trapped at the back of your own brain and watching yeah. yourself. You know, it's, yeah. it must be quite a an odd sensation. So, mm. yeah, so they, they sort of cut it out, which, again, I think is quite good in so much as at least Bernard Rose wasn't just like, no, fuck you. Mm. You now think you're a chicken. We haven't mentioned the bees. Mm. No. Um, now, <laughs> again... This is one of those things, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something here that I hope I never say again. But this is such a rich text. Mm-hmm. It has to be said. because that's the thing is again looking at it for this, I now appreciate it on so many fucking levels mm-hmm. of not just being a good film, but having so much fucking in it. So yeah. get this. So Bernard Rose. This is a quote from Bernard Rose with regards to the bees, because the bees are in Clive Barker's original. Mm-hmm. He does have bees like a a chest full of bees and it's the same Mm. sort of effect and everything else like that but bernard rose said it's there's like in the basically from the bible uh samson dismayed his parents by taking a philistine wife pausing only to slay the young lion whose carcass bred bees and ran with honey the the candy man outraged bigots by his love for a white woman and was murdered by being smeared with honey and staked out for the killer bees so I was, I was like, that's a bit obscure. Let's look this up. So, so in the story of Samson, you know, as in like Samson and Delia gets his hair cut off, loses all his strength. Mm. Um, he marries a Philistine woman who I believe is also the woman who cuts all his hair off so that he does end up with no strength. Yeah. Um, uh, on the way to the wedding ceremony, he is attacked by a lion, which he kills with his bare hands. On returning back the way he has come, Samson finds that a swarm of bees have set up a hive in the lion's carcass. 
Later at a feast, Samson poses a riddle based on this experience, asking, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet, which is Judges 14, 14. But obviously no one there can get the answer because it's, it's something that he's his own experience. It's not, yeah. it's not like a proper riddle. You know, it's a riddle he gives, and it's like, yeah, but that's a bullshit riddle. If you did that on fucking three, two, one, they'd have said, fuck you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, all, it's not like the riddle of the Sphinx or something like that, where it's like, a, you know, that's, oh, right, anyone could take Something this you could actually figure out, yeah. Yeah, it's like, no one's going to, no matter how good your lateral thinking is, I don't know who's going to get to a fucking hive in a dead lion. <laughs> you know, it's it's a fucking hard. It's an, but, and again, name changes. If you look at the label for Lyle's Golden Syrup, it no, seriously, this is true. Claire's, Claire's mocking me, but you know, this is this is a this is a deep dive, and I would also like to say that I am stone cold sober. So this is this is worrying. Um, yeah, if you look at the label for Lion's Golden Syrup, it actually depicts a dead lion covered in bees. Above the motto, out of the strong came forth sweetness. That picture has been on the product since it first appeared on the shelves in 1881. But it's one of those things that no one's no one no one's noticed. They just think yeah. like a, a sleeping lion or something yeah. like that. But it's actually meant to be a dead lion covered in bees. But Helen's name in this is now Lyle, mm. which I'm assuming is because it's Lyle's... I don't know. Um, in terms of the film, the bees uh, were bred specifically for the task of appearing in the film so they were only 12 hours old because uh, that gives them the look of maturity that they don't have a full power sting. So they can't do as much damage if they do. Mm. Yeah. Um, obviously, Tony Todd was stung a number of times and his agent negotiated him a thousand fucking dollars for every sting he received. Um, now, this is one of those ones that seems to have got a bit apocryphal. Um, he claims that uh, there's... Some sources claim that he was stung 23 times during this film. But another figure has said that he was stung 26 times over the course of doing the three films. Okay. So I'm not quite sure. But basically, yeah, Tony Todd, smart bastard, got paid for every every one of those little furry bastards that uh, stung him. And actually, I think... Well well deserved. And from what yeah. I gather as well, because obviously, um, also, I mean, she doesn't have them in her mouth, but obviously, mm. um, Virginia Madsen gets covered in the bees as well. Uh, yeah. Apparently, she's actually like she is allergic to bees. Things. <laughs> oh god! But, but as she put it, it's like, well, you know, when you're an actor, you just get on with it, didn't you? Like, <laughs> she, I think, it, I think, no, I think genuinely, genuinely, I see so many things where it's actors saying things like, "Yeah, I've never been on a horse before, but I told them I could ride a horse because I thought I wouldn't get the job." Yeah. And, you know, stuff like that. So I think it's like, yeah, I didn't tell them. I just thought, well, someone will, someone will have an EpiPen. Who knows? So. I've got to say, I am on Amazon as we speak, looking at Lyle's Golden Syrup. Mm. It is a dead lion surrounded by bees. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and that's yeah. And that's, like I say, that's where Bernard Rose has sort of taken the, I mean, I don't know, that maybe was where Clive Barker said to him earlier or whatever like that. But obviously it doesn't, it's not something that comes out particularly in the forbidden and it's not something that necessarily comes out in candy bear but it's it's a distinct <coughs> it's a distinct link to the samson story and again it's one of those weird things where you're just like hang on 
Yeah. Why is the why is, why is no one noticing this more yeah. often? There's like a dead a dead bee It shows just how much could have been like smuggled past us, mm. and we never know. Oh, I'm doubtful. One of the things I used to do um, uh, when I was working abroad, one of the questions I always used to ask the British people, they used to do a quiz sometimes when we were away um, on board the train. Yeah, one of the questions I asked was, what are the two animals that pose on the front of a British passport? Either of you got any idea? I've never heard anybody know the answer. Is it a griffin and a lion? It's a lion and a unicorn. <laughs> oh, that's it. I knew it was a mythical thing, thing. Yeah. <laughs> Why is there a fucking unicorn? <laughs> I, th- I don't know. I think I think it just I think it just represents. Uh, it probably just represents all the uh, all the all the great things about Britain, <laughs> uh, which which are made up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. The great things about Britain, their intelligence. What's the bad things about Britain? They'll fucking eat you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, so we should probably start wrapping this up. Um, yeah, so mm. so my message to anybody who, like me, saw this film when it first came out um, and hasn't gone back and watched it again since, do it's real. I, I think you're right. Um, I, I think both of you are right. It's one of those films. If you watch it as a kid and you're looking for the next Elm Street or you've been mm. as a slasher or whatever, mm. it it won't work for you. But if you actually want a well-thought-out, intelligent, well-developed, genuinely scary story, yeah, it's fantastic. It's really, really good. Um, I am going to watch the others. I know you said they were not as good. <laughs> oh, uh, no. I mean, the, the Farewell for the Flesh was okay. I mean, it wasn't... I, I, I don't feel any sort of... I don't feel any need to go back to it because now I'm kind of like... Now I'm all excited about the new one, so I definitely yeah. want to see that. I have so, now yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I also love the fact that now technically there's one with an alternate timeline set in 2020, mm-hmm. which is just like <laughs> that's fucking amazing. So. <laughs> um, so, in a similar vein to stuff that I think we probably all watched at the time and all thought was a massive pile of shit. Um, Next episode, uh, it's the next two episodes. We've got birthday choices, which I'm very excited for. Um, because generally it's uh, yeah, the, the birthday choices are ones that come kind of out of left field, and both of these have. Mm. Um, so mm. I won't spoil what we're doing on the following episode, which will be Claire's birthday choice. Um, but next episode's birthday choice, Jennifer has requested we do interview with the vampire. Oh, um, now I know this is your favourite film of all time, Lee. <laughs> it, it, it's one of those... It's his favourite Tom Cruise film. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, featuring Chris's favourite Tom Cruise. Um, I think Adam and I... No, I, do, I do like him in this, though. I, I like him in too many films, which is very <laughs> annoying, but, you know. I think Adam and I kind of bonded over this uh, in the early days of our friendship. Because, yeah, it was one of those, you know, oh, we're both into horror. And then somebody would go, oh, you're both into horror. Have you watched Interview with the Vampire? And then we would take yeah. it in turns to thrash that person around the face and neck. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and balls and arse. And tell them vampires aren't sexy. They are horrible, disgusting creatures. Read the book, for Christ's sake. Um, 
but yes, so we will revisit that and see how we feel about it. But as Adam mm. pointed out, still staying in the 90s um, and kind yeah. of progressing further further on in the decade. Um, and the mm. third film is also coming out in the same timeline. Yes. So obviously we've got early 90s here. Interview with the Vampire is mid nineties, and then our, our our choice after that is um, late nineties. It's, it's, so it's almost as out of nowhere we've it. done a trilogy. For, we've <laughs> done a nineties trilogy, <laughs> and this they're all big hits as well. They're all big summer blockbusters, which um, mm. yeah, which I know we don't normally cover. We normally do weird, obscure shit that you can only find on random YouTube channels or. Uh, if you've got a friend who's converted it from VHS, but we're going to go with the big blockbusters <laughs> for the nineties. Um, yeah. So we should, but the night, the nineties are back just in time for us to be too old to wear our old clothes. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. God, if I owned anything from the nineties, but it's funny. It's like yeah. the eighties, isn't it? <laughs> when you look back at the eighties and it's all, Oh yeah. Everyone was wearing different colored socks and they were, and I was like, no, I was wearing jeans and a white uh, T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. I had sailors, so I don't think right. I followed any of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So, and also, and also, let's face it. Whatever, whatever decade it is, there was always a fucking mod. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was always dressed exactly the fucking same. So it don't matter, mate. So. <laughs> so Thanks very much, everybody, for listening. Um, go and check out Candyman, even if you haven't watched it recently. It's definitely mm. well worth a rewatch. So much to enjoy. Um, check out the sequels, because I'm going to be. Uh, and we will be back for an uh, interview with the vampire in a fortnight's time with Lady Jennifer. Thanks very much for listening. Good night. Good night. Good night.